0: On this episode of Magic on the Patio, I welcome Terry Barger to talk about her solitary witch practice and how strong her connection to Appalachian culture and tradition is, and the importance of passing down the knowledge and traditions of her ancestors. Terry has been married for 15 years and is the mother to a six-year-old Manhattanite whom she is joyfully raising to honor Appalachian culture and traditions, including Granny Witch Magic. If you would like to learn more about Terry, head over to her blog, I am or on Instagram at skate with TLB or TLB Brooklyn. All of that information will be in the show notes below. Terry and I had a wonderful conversation about Appalachia and Granny Witch Magic and passing down um, oral traditions to family members and other members of your community. It was a really, really beautiful conversation, and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did recording it. So, enjoy! Welcome to Magic on the Patio. I am here with Terry Barger, and we are here to talk about her awesome witch practice. Um, Terry is one of my first guests who is not a professional, which is exactly what I wanted on this podcast. I wanted people who live the life of spirituality, witchcraft, who have it flowing in their life every day and utilize. The magic that just kind of flows throughout us all. So hi Terry, how
1: are you today? Hi, Lauren. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to talking about all of this. Me too. Yeah. I've just been so excited
0: just to talk with people about this um, and kind of just share, share every your different experiences with magic, with witchcraft, with Spirituality, um, because everyone's perspective is just so different, um, and I think especially for practicing witches who are just um, kind of coming into their own or moving into, say, more of a solitary practice, it's nice to hear other people's perspectives, just so that they don't feel like they're alone. Um, especially because you're a solitary witch, so it's it's nice that you can kind of you know share your experiences of doing something in the singular, but also how that makes you feel and and, and if you can find community and, and where you gain your strength from. So why don't we just dive in and why don't you tell me about, um, like
1: describe your witch practice. Sure. Um, so first, I think it's really important to note that I'm from rural Appalachia and my practice is rooted in Appalachian folk magic and the Appalachian traditions. Um, One of the really interesting things about witchcraft as it's generally practiced in Appalachia is that um, witchcraft is a craft in the same way that woodworking is a craft or knitting is a craft. And so within the Appalachian tradition, there are lots of people who practiced what I am very comfortable calling witchcraft, what a lot of people would recognize as witchcraft, consider themselves Christians or atheists or um, a a whole range of other religious and spiritual practices. So the tradition of Appalachian folk magic is not specifically tied to one religious or spiritual practice, which can make it really interesting. Um, I'm part of, we talked about being a solitary practitioner already, but I am part of an Appalachian online community. And I would I'm going to estimate that maybe 30% of the, the self-described witches in that group are Christians, which I wow. think is very different from um, other people's experience with Christianity and with witchcraft.
0: So that's really cool i didn't i mean i knew that there was an abundance of christian witches and it makes sense with the geography of abalachia um to kind of intertwine christianity and witchcraft if you're using it which it truly is a craft it is a tool it is it is energy that is being put into a tool to then create right so that's um that's really interesting so then when did you kind of discover Granny Witch Magic?
1: Yeah, there are two big events that um, came together to create my personal practice. The first is just my childhood. Um, my grandparents were, um, and I may mispronounce this, so apologies to people who still practice this religion, um, apostolic Pentecostal Christians, which is one of the most conservative Pentecostal sects, so it's part of um, speaking in tongues as part of that tradition, but so is um, Appalachian folk magic, at least as it's practiced in Appalachia. And um, so my grandmother in particular was a, um, uh, she was someone who worked with fire and burns, and cool. so for example, when I would get sunburnt, she would um take something, some and pretty much anything she had handing, rubbing alcohol swabs. Once she used butter, which is should in theory be like putting butter on a turkey, right? Like it should yeah. just make your skin horrible. And she would quote by Bible verses and wow. make the burn go away. Um, so I grew up with this very keen idea that this very close tie between taking care of people and healing. She attended births in the coal mining town where she lived, um, my, my grandfather, but they had a farm, a family farm as everyone. Did at that time. Like this wasn't a commercial property at all. And, you know, my grandfather had an affinity for the animals. He could pick up a chicken and put it on the porch and ask it to lay for him and it would lay eggs for him.
0: Wow. Um, oh gosh.
1: And then, you know, I had other family members who uh, charmed snakes and collected them for churches that did snake handling um, some poisonous snakes, which my my grandparents' church was not a, a snake handling church, but that was, uh, you know, a job to go out and collect poisonous snakes. So, you know, it, it was just always there. It wasn't something I discovered so much as just grew up in. Um, wow. and, but nobody called it magic. And certainly the term witchcraft was mm-hmm. very loaded and would have been very, very offensive to my grandparents who are both dead now Um, but um, so that was one one part of my upbringing and then when I was in high school my first girlfriend was a eclectic Wiccan um, a, a Jewish eclectic Wiccan so very far removed from my own experience and she had been a practitioner for Several years. I mean, we were young, so but several years, and she was a very serious practitioner, and she introduced me to a lot of the Wiccan traditions, and we started dating at a time when I was separating from the Christian Church, and um, I found a lot of solace in um, a lot of the tenets of Wicca, so the the goddess and. Um, the sense of um, attachment to nature and um, a um, more benevolent view of sexuality that all came kind of at the right time in my life. And so I don't self-identify as a Wiccan anymore, but I appreciate her, um, her role in my growth and spiritual development in that way. So, and then, you know, as I moved into adulthood, um, you know i spent a lot of time exploring a lot of different religions and kind of seeking i spent a lot of years self identifying as an atheist and at this point i i don't have i have a, a, a deeply and abiding belief in our connection to the universe and what that means in terms of a deity i don't have an opinion on so but um but those two events though growing up in a household where Um, the, you know, extraordinary was just a part of taking care of the hard bits of life, plus her deep connection to the goddess practice is probably the deepest roots of my practice.
0: Wow. I mean, just the, the diversity of, of your background is, is amazing because it really, now hearing that it makes me understand where you're at now, like really seeing that you got both sides of the spectrum when it comes to witchcraft as a whole, right? So you have something that's more structured with rules, like with Wiccan, it is more rule based, it is more religion based, but then in your religious family, the witchcraft, which we would just call, I guess, just, I don't know, I guess, I don't even, I wonder what they called it then. It was just part, it was like moving through God, moving with spirit, um that was in a in a structured religion, but it was actually moved with less ritual, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. That's a, a good way to look at it. I mean, there are very some very prescribed rituals that are part of Appalachian folk magic. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there are Bible verses, for example, that you can read that are that stop bleeding if you have faith. Um, there are um, You know, there are a lot of rules around passing on the ability to take fire, for example. Mm -hmm. That is something that traditionally in families is passed down um, within families to opposite genders. So at at this point, there's no one in my family who has that skill because I don't have any living relatives who are men Mm -hmm. in the next generation. So, Mm -hmm. um, but. But by and large, it's really about um it, it's one of the I'm I'm thinking this through, so I apologize if I'm oh, no, of course. No, one of the one of the challenging things right now is you know Appalachian folk magic comes from the colonizing of Appalachia. And so it has got um a lot of elements from Scottish and Irish tradition. Um, a a fair amount of German tradition um, built into it, but it also strongly incorporates particularly Cherokee practices, um, as well as enslaved Africans. And so, like I think many religious traditions right now, there is a grappling with, you know, what, where does this come from? What claim does do we have on it Mm -hmm. and what is you know what is our tradition and what have we stolen or colonized from other people and that conversation comes up all the time in the groups I'm in as we as we talk about um, the practices and the traditions and you know uh, certainly not everyone who practices Appalachian folk magic is white at all there is Mm -hmm. um, a large black community there are large black communities in Appalachia who have their own traditions um some of which are rooted in African folk magic as well as Appalachian folk magic and there's a lot of crossover around like the bible verses and those sorts of traditions are in both um but there are um yeah, it's a it's an interesting play, time right now, to yeah. be looking back at these traditions that are rooted in a very American practice. Right, Appalachia is distinctly American. So well, that's what I
0: was thinking. I was like, Appalachia is the quintessential Americana. You know, that's what you think of when you think of like the roots of America. After the thirteen colonies, you move a little west, and that is truly America, and. What's just, you know, diving into Appalachia a little bit, you know, I don't have a lot of background in knowing about it, but I do know just how subjugated and how mistreated the people have always been. Like, since day one, the people of that area, no matter race or or creed or gender, the whole area has been really just um, almost like demoralized. I think that's the word that always kind of comes up just because of how... They've been discussed and and almost ridiculed throughout the rest of America.
1: Yeah, um, the The word I I would use is I would say that it's an exploited region. Yeah. People, outsiders come in, they mine for coal or natural mm-hmm. gas um, or timber, and then, you know, they leave areas of nature that have been decimated and people without jobs and, you know, Oh, you mentioned the thirteen colonies, and at that time, um, Appalachia was literally the Wild West, right? That yeah, is, yeah. you know, w- when people went west, they were going to to Western, not West Virginia, Western Virginia, mm-hmm. and so that's that's where my family is from. Is that part of Virginia? So, cool.
0: Cool. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about that, about exactly where your family is from. So, Western Virginia, are you guys? roots of your family still in that area? Um, Like, do you still have family members that are within
1: that same kind of community, that area? I do. I do. Um, And we went back, you know, with my mom last weekend for the long weekend. And um, we talked a lot. She'll be 70 next year. So we hiked up um, several of the trails in the National Forest there. And, you know, we talked about the town she grew up been literally doesn't exist anymore it was a coal mining town there were only about 10 houses that were owned by people who were not who were owned by people versus the coal mining company and I don't know how much you want me to get into like the economics of coal mining but basically for years and years and years coal mines paid their workers in monopoly money called scrip. Mm-hmm. And they owned the houses, the coal mines owned the houses, they owned the general store, and you could go to the general store and buy goods, but if you tried to ch- change your scrip in for American dollars, it was pennies on the dollar. So they they really exploited workers by keeping them trapped. And then, you know, the, the mining company where my mom lived moved to Indiana and um, stri- literally strip mined the town. There were 10 houses left that belonged to people who weren't um weren't living in the who weren't working for the coal mine and my um grandfather went to college on the gi bill and was a nurse actually um oh, wow. so he had worked in as, as a coke producer coke is a byproduct of coal used to mm-hmm. make steel um but he um he they own their own home and uh all of their neighbors moved away and the town is literally it, it's it was called Dorchester Virginia and now it's Dorchester Road in the the bigger town next next to them i mean to circle back on like you know one of the
0: reasons why we're having this conversation <laughs> about witchcraft and magic you can see how that community and that people would utilize the religion that they have been given right or not given you know forced to have Christianity and and take from it the magic to find what is going to be the miraculous, to find what is going to truly feed their soul and then give to others and heal. Like even with your grandfather becoming a nurse. I mean, how yeah. how amazing is that kind of healing ability? And most likely through the granny, witch you know, witchcraft craft is how yes. to
1: learn to heal. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. Healing is a um, calling in my family. My mom's a nurse, her sister is an EMT. My um, uh, uncle was a, a police officer who was one of the best murder homicide investigators in the state of Virginia, um, who then retired and went to, on to work in a nursing home after retirement to take care of, uh, protect people again I guess he went on to do you know compliance around patient access and patient care um you know and it's uh, my mom has another sister who's also a nurse and it's very much the family tradition and in in the many ways that I broke the family tradition the fact that I'm an accountant is pretty high on the list (laughs) I have to say so but You know the other part of of Granny Magic and Appalachian folk magic is, it's Appalachia is one of the most biodiverse places in the world. It is second only to the the rivers there are second only to the Amazon in biodiversity. Before we talked, I tried to nail down a statistic I keep seeing, but somewhere between 30 and 50% of modern drugs that were developed from plants came from plants from the Appalachian region. Wow. Oh, that's so
0: so interesting. Yeah. And makes so much sense on why the area is so exploited.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So there's no, you know, even today, there's no interstates around where I, you know, I visited this past weekend where my mom grew up and I grew up, I should say, literally over a mountain in Kentucky. So she was born on one side of the mountain in Virginia. And I lived on the other side of the mountain in Kentucky after she got married and my parents first settled in Kentucky. So, um, but yeah, there's no interstate. There's no, um, cell services, real spotty. And, uh, um, you know, uh, there's been a lot of movement lately to really preserve the biodiversity. And uh, one of the great things that is happening right now is a shift away from, I mean, obviously coal mining is on the decline because demand is down, like it's Mm -hmm. not, I'd love for it to be because people are are changing, but it's, I'm not gonna pretend that that's happening. But as the region looks for ways to survive, you know, being an ecological an ecologically magic place is really part of that, um, literally and figuratively like there's you know, when you walk in those woods, I was in Washington um, National Forest and Jefferson National Forest, both of them are right there last week. You know, you can walk along the paths and you can hear um Silence. You can hear life and connection in a way that's really profound. You know, there were no there's there was no glacial activity in the Appalachians, so yeah. um, you know the hills are. Older than the dinosaurs. Um, If you go in a cave, you are looking at rocks that don't have dinosaur fossils because they already existed when Mm -hmm. the dinosaurs went extinct. Um, But that sense of connection there is so profound. And it's so interesting to go with my daughter, who, as you know, was born in Manhattan. So (laughs) she has a very different perspective on the world. But the first time I took her, you know, we were out hiking and she stopped me at a tree and said, Mommy, we have to ask permission to go any farther. Oh,
0: like what a little just, whistling.
1: Oh. Yeah. Like, and you know, I said, Okay, let's let's how how should we do that? And she went over and she chatted with the tree for a minute and she said, Okay, we can go now. think like, it was very like I mean there's just
0: I'm like I have so many questions like like, where, where should we go um no it's just so for for me I I understand the connection to you know the Appalachian range you know I grew up on the Appalachian Trail but in New York State so understanding the feeling and the call of that mountain range is is innate it is like it's in your bones if you like my entire family no one moved you know like they settled in that area and that's that, you know? So it's um, when you leave and then you go back, you realize why people stay and why those mountains and the the energy of those mountains are just so potent. Um, right. And one reason why they're so exploited, but at the same time, why they're exploited to a point, but then it stops. It's like a very interesting, like, no more. It's like, you can take just so much and then no more. Um, there, it, it feels for me like there is a little bit of protection around those mountains, especially with, and then moving right into your daughter, being like asking for permission. It's like these newer, younger generations are almost tapping back into the older generations um, coming through and asking permission and being here and being one with the land, because it does, for me, circling back to kind of that colonizer energy, it's this, it's this, uh, I don't even know what the word would be. It's almost like a juxtaposition of like, of like we were colonized, but we wanted to be here to respect the land. And so there is this permission that was asked, but in a way that was almost too aggressive and, and not in a way that was healthy, um, more toxic energy, but there was still that permission of asking. So going back to like your ancestors and their granny witch magic, of asking permission to get the energy from the land to heal, like heal your burns. Where was your grandma getting that energy from? She was getting it from the land, the land was right. giving it to her. Right. Um, and it's just, and then seeing your daughter ask for permission, it's like she innately knows. She knew to ask permission. Um, so that, that makes me go along to go down a whole nother avenue <laughs> of like, how are you
1: gonna teach your daughter? And like, what are you doing? <laughs> what yeah. kind of practice are you doing with Amelia? And, yeah, we can definitely talk about that because now yeah. we live in the middle, right? We're in yes. Northern Virginia, so I don't live in Appalachia, though mm-hmm. I go back as often as I can because it's almost um it, it's a well I have to fill and i yeah. if i don't then i i get physically sick and and you know as well as you know mentally and and spiritually exhausted like i have to i you know um I've been having all of these problems just aging right I'm getting older like I I, I have um you know I have some weird I joke that it's also part of Appalachia like I have some weird bones I have extra bones in my feet and I've got my my own like witch marks that are just part of like part of being a mountain girl right and um uh, you know we spent 3 hours in the clinch river which is a like right in the heart of appalachia like there's a plaque that says heart of appalachia <laughs> like literally and um you know i, I there's some rapids we were in we were in inner tubes. We went inner tubing which is a fun activity and we did it for fun like we weren't we weren't seeking a spiritual experience there but um you know i i ended up you have to get out of, I don't know if you've ever been in a tubing, have, but you have yeah. to get out and like carry your tube over like rapids if yes. they get too deep or too yeah. shallow, I should yeah. say in things. And like, Cause your
0: butt rubs against the rocks and it's not yeah. fun.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I thought I expected to be really sore because I've been having these issues and I woke up the next morning feeling like I'd been baptized. I had no oh. swelling. My, you know, I, I had no, no bruises no swelling my my husband who is not from appalachia was a little banged up but and had some sunburn i had zero none of it it was like it, it just felt like a baptism and you know i i felt better this past week than i have you know in two years probably since i haven't been traveling due to covid so i hadn't been home um you know <sighs>
0: <laughs> it's just so funny because it's like you know everyone tries to seek spiritual moments and plan them out and but they're always in the mundane they're always in that kind of just like i wasn't looking for it it just happened and and you know for you it's just like going home like physically going home and and bathing in the water is what's going to heal you because you your genes your skin <laughs> your 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 guts everything is was created there
1: So, where are you going to fill your tank in that water? (laughs) Yep, yep. And I mean, it's just a, it's just a magical place. I mean, you know, we, uh, you know, butterflies landed on us while we were floating down the river, and frogs were just hanging out looking at us. Geese watched us from a distance but left us alone, which you know, geese are well especially if, if you live in a metro, metro area like <laughs> these do not leave you alone nope they just they were like oh yeah we're we're not interested like you know giant fish I, it, I mean it looked like a Disney movie like fish jumping out of the water like it was you know it was magical and you know my my daughter this was was really her first time being old enough to to really engage with the land in a meaningful way and she was she was in it you know we weren't in the water for 90 seconds before she was out of her inner tube and you know had her head in the water and was just there and you know she uh, you know she was just thrilled to be there and well
0: that's the beauty of you know it's one of the blessings of witnessing children you know either they're if they're your own or if a child that you're close with just witnessing them engage with nature and and spirit um because it's the most it's the most novel and 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 simple but most powerful magic there is just like oh yeah just watching them dance and swim is 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 a spell <laughs> So I just, I, I love that. I love that for Amelia too, because I know Amelia, you know? I mean, gosh, we were just chatting about how, like, I mean, I've known Amelia since she was like seven months old. Yep. <laughs> and yep. she's a magical little creature. and She, she is. She, but I can see how being in that water and witnessing you feel at ease would make her also want to enjoy
1: it even more. Yeah, she is a very sensitive child and she feels other people's moods really deeply and so you know my whole my a lot of my family gathered there and you know feeling us relax around her i think gave her a sense of security that was really special to her in the moment um but also the land itself really lent itself to her i mean you know i and I had the same experience there when I was a kid, just, you know, uh, you know, I, I have distinct memories of places that I felt like I needed to ask permission to enter and places where once I had permission, I would go, you know, I have three younger sisters. And sometimes when you're the oldest, you just need a place where you're not going to be bothered. And the woods around our house gave me those places where I could, you know, and they weren't far. It wasn't like, you know, if a if a parent had come out and called my name, I would have been probably not a hundred yards from the backyard. Oh. But you know, and, and you know what those places look like, right? Like any time that there's a, a three trees, you know, in a triangle with a with an inexplicable bare spot between them, or. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a fairy circle. Though I'm, I'm very wary, and most Appalachians are very wary of fairy circles. We have a very old world view of fairies. and um, Ooh, I,
0: w- I would love to we, know more about that. Maybe another conversation, um, but we can use yeah. Use here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, the 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 short answer is that you know we uh, that I think that's the 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 Scots Irish background. That sense that you know the good folk are. Like they're they're magical, but they're also not human. Distinctly not human, and they have their own agenda. And yeah. you know, you 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 ask something from them at your peril. So oh. that's just. Oh, I, I,
0: I love I love fairies, and I love I love old, old traditions of fairies because I, I truly believe that that's my opinion. That's that's how they roll. <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, I it's, it's funny because, you know, we do like the tooth fairy and I have, like, I have real misgivings. Like every time we do it, I'm like, I don't know about offering one of your body parts to a fairy. Like, I think that's a bad deal. Like usually, and you know, I hope you don't have any young, young listeners who still believe in the tooth fairy. Cause usually I have that, fairy, that tooth out from under her pillow before she's asleep and in like a protective box because okay. I'm like like this is a ga- a good game but we're not gonna we're not gonna play it too far
0: right. <laughs> which is just so interesting because I feel like we had a conversation like months ago like when the first teeth got like lost with our kids like maybe even probably a year ago at this point and I think you asked me what I did and I was like like I, I, I mean really Roz like The second she fell asleep, I went and grabbed it. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing with this. And I put it in a box. And then I realized the box that I put it in is actually, I don't think it's, I think it actually might be lead or it's stainless. It's like an old school, big, heavy box. It feels like, I don't know about this like weird energy because it felt strange. And then I realized I had a memory of my mom finding all of my baby teeth in a box, a big heavy metal box too. And she was like, I don't know why I put them there. Like I asked her one day when I, when I was in high school, cause I was like grabbing a ring of hers. And she, I was like, you still have all of her baby teeth. She's like, I don't know what to do with them. And then she's like, I don't, they're just in this big heavy box. I, I, they felt right there. And I was like, oh, I was like, "This, the magic that's running through, the protection that's running. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, yep. Yeah, we my, ended don't... up
0: burying ours because I wanted it to be an offering for nature. <laughs>
1: and. You know, we don't own our, our home here. And no. I I think maybe if we buy in the future that, that will be that will be part of our story. But right now they're in a they're in a metal box and I have a little place under my altar where I store, you know, like the candles and the, the things that have been blessed that yeah. I want to keep separate from my knickknacks and my and it's it's back in there. And it, it's funny because the box I used, I bought um, something I couldn't grow myself. What was it? I, I don't even remember. But it's something you that's traditionally used in protective magic. Yeah. And so the box actually says like protection and like something else on the top of the box. Like that's the one I picked up to put the. Tape it's in. like you know, what, you know <laughs> spirit, spirit,
0: universe, whatever you want to call it, is always <laughs> guiding you. You just have to listen or allow that. Allow it to take your hand, quite literally. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and puts the teeth in a protective box. <laughs> so, it's, a, it's a funny tangent, but it kind of, it it reminds me of what the craft is in granny magic. You know, right. like that's the craft. The craft is creating a sacred space that's going to protect you. That's the magic. Um, yep. Very old school, but also makes a lot of sense with the Scottish and the Irish and the German, you know, hard, harder people, people who, yep. you know,
1: just I mean even even when I was, you know we slowly moved out of Appalachia over my childhood so by you know we lived like right in the heart of the mountains when I was young and then when I was in junior high we had moved still in the Appalachian but more uh in Kentucky but more in the foothills and when I started high school we moved to the the city um -hmm. and you know even when we lived in the foothills, it was a, in the 1980s. So this is not like olden times, right? It was a 45-minute drive to the closest hospital. So you just, you know, you just learned how to use what you had to take care of people. And and that includes your energy and your traditions um, and the soothing and the, you know, the, uh, that sort of thing. But, you know, Amelia has a sunburn or had a sunburn. And I, at the beginning of the summer, I, I grow lemon balm and I basically pickled lemon balm and I keep it in the fridge and we do, and it's vinegar and lemon balm and that's it. And we soak cotton in it and lay it on sunburns because it takes the sting away. Like it's not I don't want to say it's not magic because obviously there's the there's the intention and the healing that's part of it, but also it's it's very pragmatic. It's a very pragmatic approach to um, to magic and to to our connection to the earth.
0: And you know, for me, that that kind of like it makes sense because the people who would you know, colonize or move or move West would be the pragmatic ones. They would be the, the salt of the earth people, but also for me, that's, that's what witchcraft is. You know, it's, it's taking magic and pulling it into the human experience, the earthly realm, you know, because magic is all around us. It's, it's, it's electricity. It's in the air. It's in the ether. It's chemicals. It's, you know, bubbling all around where we can't see, but we have to take it, and make it into the human world, into the earthly realm, and and create a craft which is a tool. That's what we do. We're humans. This is what we do. Yes. We, we make tools. So you it's made true. a magical tool <laughs> that might, to some people, just be like, oh, that's a little herbalism. That's just you know a little home remedy. But but you you put that intention in. You you use your ancestors' knowledge you grab that energy from the ether and then put it in a bottle to, you know, to help heal your child. And that's, I mean, talk about you being an accountant. I mean, you're a healer, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> you got to tell your mom.
1: <laughs> yeah. My mom will be like, why did you waste lemon balm like that? Just use the vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> It's
0: like, mom, I wanted to
1: smell good. Uh, yeah, I, I had to convince a six-year-old to put vinegar on her skin. You have to do something.
0: Like, <laughs> I, oh my gosh, using like makeup brushes to put things on these days.
1: Some block with makeup brushes, hot tip, do it. <laughs> the only way, it's the only yep. way. Yep.
0: Oh gosh, so I think I think my next question, because I'm like, oh, I, we can keep talking about this forever. But I think my next question for you um, would be like, So this is part of your everyday life, right? So making the lemon, um, you know, um, having magic be in your everyday life. But what does your actual practice look like today? Like, are you following specific rituals? Um, Are you following a a specific tradition? Or are you more eclectic with your solitary witchcraft?
1: Um, I would say I'm more eclectic. Um, It's very important to me to stay very connected to the Appalachian traditions in terms of Um, Some of the things I passed down to my daughter, Um, but there are strains. You, I, you, and I have had a, a recent conversation about breaking cycles, and there are things yeah. about Appalachian culture that I want to move away from. Um, mm-hmm. There, there can be a real fatalism, as there are in most exploited cultures, yeah. that I can fall prey to, and that certainly I watched my grandparents fall prey to. That I would prefer not to. I would not. I would prefer not to pass that on, for example, um, and. You know, the other thing that's become increasingly important to me is, um, you know, I'm a feminist and I really um, think that we struggle with the patriarchy. And one of the ways the patriarchy controls us is to divorce us from our intuition and from our connection to the earth. And, you know, I I don't think it's an accident that um, historically Christianity celebrates birth at the same time that nature is in its deepest rest and commemorates a death at the same time that nature is starting the birth cycle. Like, I think that it is part of a – it is part of a – undermining of our connection to the universe and once you start losing that connection then you are easier to control because you're not trusting your own connection to the world anymore and your own intuition and you're looking outside yourself for answers so sorry no I'm sorry I'm like I'm like I'm thinking about all the I
0: never thought of that oh that makes so I'm like I'm 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 feeling like a blog post for you coming (laughs) out of that
1: exact. I get it. I'm sorry. I'm like, uh. that's
0: right.
1: I get it. I get it. Um, and so my, my current spiritual practice is centered in that connection to nature and that connection to our intuition and to the cycles of, um, of of time and of you know the the wheel of the year and all of those things are super important because it's really important to me that we live our our family life connected to the external passage natural passage of time which is something that not only you know I, I gave the the Christianity example but also capitalism takes that away right like you know Christmas is very frenzied and the idea of a vacation comes at like the height of our energy and then there's this buckling down again in the fall which is traditionally a harvest time so like our whole society is built on an inversion of natural cycles so I work really, you know, we live in the society and school still starts in the fall and, you know, it's still easier for me to take a vacation in July. Like I'm, I'm not like, I'm not throwing all of that off, but what I try to do in my home is connect this back to those cycles in very intentional ways. So we celebrate all of the holidays that are tied to the equinoxes and um, longest night Longest day and the Midway holidays like Imolg. Mm-hmm. So those are, are really important. We celebrate the, both the high holidays and the, the markers of time um, in between that that mark the changing, this more subtle changing of the seasons. Um, and we do that in ways that are really tied to nature itself. So um, for Ostera this year, we Um, blue eggs. So we, we, you know, we poked holes in eggs and blew them. And then we thought about like, okay, this is a planting time. So what is an intention that we want to plant now and revisit at Mabon and see what we what we're going to harvest and so my daughter chose bravery as her intention and you know I've been taking notes of things she's done like she she's learning how to dive right now so um, you know I I've got kind of a list for her at Mabon of like, okay, so you said in April that you wanted to really step up and be brave. And I watched you dive off a diving board. I watched you climb this really high rock. I watched you get in a river and get out of your inner tube and swim. And then I picked patience, which has never been one of my strong suits. And so for myself, I'm taking those same kinds of notes. So when we do our Mabon gratitude ritual, Mm -hmm. there will be a natural progression from the eggs that are still hanging in our house now to, you know, that ritual. So I love that. That is a, that's a really
0: fabulous ritual, especially to do with children, but also with anyone who is especially if you're already working with intention setting and manifestation, this is just long-term. Um, but that's a really beautiful ritual because if you're having the eggs hang within your home, within your sacred space, you are you're able to have a visual reminder of, of what the core energy you're working on throughout that, you know, through that, you know, half of the year, which is really cool. And I love, I, I truly have never thought about the, um, I mean capitalism all the time, but the the in the enforcement of the switching of our natural rhythm is it's just insidious, which is the word in, that just keeps coming insidious up. Insidious
1: was exactly the word I was going to say. That it is insidious, and it's so. I mean, it's so subtle, mm-hmm. and it's so. Ubiquitous, that it's really hard to see. And, you know, I'm sure that there are people who are going to come back and say, hey, Easter is a celebration of resurrection, which is very much in keeping with, you know, the Easter traditions. But the focus for most churches historically has been the crucifixion and death, no, 100%. And the 40 days leading up to that is Lent, which, you know, and that time when you're getting all of those delicious ramps and asparagus and like all these things that like are a real pleasure, like the opening and blooming of the world, like to choose that time to say, okay, like this is a time of, of, you know, denial and like, it's, it's everywhere. Like once you see it, it's really hard to unsee the ways that we are uh, divorced from that, our our patriarchal structures divorce us from the natural world. So that's really that the focus of my practice is is very spiritual, and it is very intentional, and it is also a political rebellion against our our structures.
0: And it's, it's really wonderful that you get to share that with,
1: you know, your
0: husband and your daughter, which, you know, the healing comes from both spectrums. It comes from, it has to come from, you know, the male energy and from the female energy, um, which is, it's great to see families working through that together. Because like we were talking about with breaking cycles in our previous conversation, you know, it's so deep. It's so it's genetic. It's in our bones. It's in the energy that flows all around us. And seeing family structures start to heal themselves and acknowledge, that's truly what the healing is. It's acknowledgement first, um, that there is something that's toxic, that er, there is something that is broken and not okay. Um, and to pass down the the tools to heal to your children and to the people around you is just It's beautiful what you're doing for your family and what you're, what you're helping to cultivate for
1: your daughter to share with others. Thank you. Yeah. My husband is, um, you know, he was very much along for the ride for a long time. Like he's, you know, again, you know him, he's very easygoing. Mm -hmm. And when I said, you know, when I said, you know, like, I want to make sure that we put When Amelia, you know, I, before Amelia was around, I, 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 marked the, the equinoxes and um, longest longest night and, and longest day. But other than that, I was pretty haphazard about it. And I said, you know, when she was born, I said, hey, like, I want more intentionality around this. And he liked the idea and, and was like, okay, like, whatever you say, we'll do that. Like, just, <laughs> you know, um, but as we have continued to do it, his commitment to it has really grown and he's, You know, he missed, he was super bummed this year. He had knee surgery. And because Amelia is very, um, uh, she's a very physical child. Mm -hmm. We put him in a hotel for the first three days after the surgery so that she was not like, throwing herself bodily onto him and doing more damage (laughs) she's she's very much an Aries (laughs) yes yes she is yes she is so um he was in the he was laid up in a in a bandage in a hotel room during Ostera. so he doesn't have an egg this year and he's kind of bummed about it but he
0: he got a new name so
1: (laughs) (laughs) yep yep so. so then
0: for like, for, so then for like Maybon he can be like, you know, running around, he can go for a jog. <laughs>
1: yes. Yes. And, you know, we invited our neighbors over, our new neighbors oh. over from Maybon last year. We have, um, a, a family in our neighborhood who has a child, my daughter's age, and, um, we potted with them during the she's an only child both of them she's an only child the other family they only have one child at home now Mm -hmm. the other one has grown and so after we had a couple of lonely only children lonely onlys so we potted and they had a blast they really like dug in we did a lot of balancing ideas around balance and so we did egg spoon egg races and egg tosses and it was just such a festival and to do that during the pandemic was really special and then um the the neighbor came back over and did eggs with us and took her egg home and hung it up as well so you know even though that's not their tradition they've really enjoyed being part of it so
0: well it's nice to share you know and that's the beauty of that's the beauty of like a a all-encompassing, you know, practice of witchcraft is the ability for it to be shared um, in ways that are non-judgmental and non they're not overcompassing someone else's, you know, traditions or beliefs. You know, it truly is a a simple act of just sharing and giving. Um, yeah. And that's that's really beautiful that you're able to do that with, you know, with the friends, with neighbors, just to, to bring the energy of your area up. You know, for your higher self or the higher good of just the just the actual physical land that you're on is um, it's so key. It's so good for kids too, just
1: to witness the sharing of tradition. So oh. yeah, it's oh. fun. It's not a yeah. We're we're certainly not proselytizers. I I've met a few proselytizers, which mm-hmm. is over the years, but they're mm-hmm. they're not common. Thank goodness. <laughs> no. No, most are because most have been in. A- in
0: religions or in, you know, structures that force upon others. So, you know, it right. is a, it is a, um, a community overall that doesn't like to push, which yeah. I also love because yeah. I don't want anyone pushing anything on me. <laughs> you know, there
1: are definitely practitioners of Appalachian folk magic who consider it a closed practice as well.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Um, not, it is, uh, um, whether or not it's a closed practice is pretty controversial, as you would might imagine.
0: Yeah, um, I, I, it would never have the, crossed my mind because of how eclectic the practice specifically is. Unless you're doing something specific to a specific region of a specific practice, then I can see it being closed. Like using a specific herb for a specific spell for a specific something would make sense. But
1: The most common way I see it be closed, and this one I have some sympathy for, is um, the sharing of specific recipes and remedies and rituals in a family to other family members. Okay. Well, I can see that. I mean, uh, I think, I mean, if you, so that's
0: something that not like I haven't been struggling with, because I completely understand with the, with closed practices specifically, um, you know, exploited and subjugated people uh, and coming from you know, white people of privilege uh, utilizing the practices for own self gain. Um, But if you think about a spell, it's like a family recipe. Right. And there are some family recipes that need to stay in the family. So, of course, it will be closed, you know, and that's specific to a lineage. And that lineage, unless it is shared with wholehearted from the whole community of that lineage, then it's not necessary for everyone to practice, you know. Right. And that's something about witchcraft in general and magic and spell work is with the with technology and like specifically like Pinterest of like going on and going, oh, look at all these spells. Like, who created this spell? What was the energy that was put on this pin? You know, where did this come from? Who created the proportions of this of this you know spell? So I can see how people in Appalachia could go, you know, no, like if you're going to call the spell Appalachian healing, solve, you have to be of the land to call it yeah. that.
1: Which yeah. Makes sense. yeah. And, you know, there is, I'm reluctant to use the word cultural appropriation because I think there are certainly much more marginalized groups who mm. have more of a claim to that term but there is a sense of infringement um that i feel sometimes you know southern culture broadly has gotten a lot of cachet in the past few years like you know i when i moved to new york city i would send pictures of like Menu items. I moved from Nashville, Tennessee to New York City. And so I would send pictures of menu items like chicken and biscuits that would be like $23 in New York and be like, (laughs) please don't tell my mother I'm eating at a restaurant that's charging $23 for fried chicken. Um, And, you know, people are always looking for the more obscure, more authentic part of a culture that they can explore and often you know with curiosity and with like a sense of passion about it but you know when it comes to southern culture Appalachian culture is that like next obscure like more obscure thing and there have been some really concerning things that have happened like you know ramps have become so trendy and they're only from Appalachia that they're on the verge of becoming extinct like because they take seven years to grow and people are coming in and harvesting whole patches and leaving none and you know so I think some protective you know there some of the the protection is a protection of the land and some of it is a sense that you know this is a traditionally exploited place and now there's another wave of people coming in and you know taking recipes and then charging 23 Mm dollars for them without ever Mm -hmm. you know giving anything back um to to the place that that it's coming from and the same thing happens within the magical practice as well you know yeah they're
0: uh, they're intertwined they truly are um right which is it's just overall with Appalachia um and the the people there's a sense of there's such a sense of pride, but pride in the best way of of really loving community and loving where you're from, but never being able like what you were saying about the coal mining companies owning people's ta- owning their homes, never having a claim, of 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 not property of just the land, you know, of physically being one with the land and and owning it in that sense of of, of rights, um, which going back to like with the ramps of like others coming in, taking it and then exploiting it. Yeah. I, I don't even know where I'm going with this. It's a, it's a, it's a whole nother podcast in my head right now. It's a whole other episode. But it's, it's, it's interesting that you bring it up because it is similar to witchcraft in the fact that maybe it shouldn't be a closed practice, but it needs to be protected, you know, with Appalachia being so diverse, but the culture is very, um, tight. The, 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 the people are diverse, but the culture is tight. Um, whereas, you know, there needs to be protection of the land so that the culture can stay um, revered, I think is really what it is. It's not protected because you want it to grow, but you want to make sure that there's some sort of reverence yes. um, around the culture.
1: Yeah. The, well, you want growth and development of and an increase in spiritual practices that do so in a way that enhances the yes. land and the people rather than exploiting the land and the people. Right. You know, I'm thrilled that people love ramps. Like ramps are amazing. Like delicious. Um, they're delicious. Um, and, you know, I think they serve as a real reminder that this area that has been denigrated as being kind of backwards, like has amazing, things in it and as part of it um and it's funny because you know when I was a kid people who ate ramps got made fun of for like their garlicky breath and for stinking and things like it was not a thing that you did and it's kind of weird now at middle age to have you know um the, the things of my childhood be sort of trendy and on trend is a very, it's a very weird place to be. Like, you know, when I post Instagram pictures of like me going foraging and like making pesto out of dandelion roots and chickweed, people think that's really cool. Whereas, you know, when I, that was not cool. That was never cool. That was like something you did because you didn't have enough money to go to the grocery store. Like, <laughs> well, cause I mean, that's really,
0: Let's see. uh, Interesting. um, I guess it's, I guess I would call it the uh, Gen Z or no, the Gen X to millennial, like that two generations of let's take what's poor, let's take what's gritty. Let's, let's upscale it because we love it and we want to make it part of our culture, but then capitalism doesn't allow it to have the reverence that it does deserve, where it's respected right. and then upscale reverence, you know, but it then right. capitalism comes in and goes, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. We're going to, we're going to exploit, we're going to tear, we're going to rip down. And then it's going to be that cycle all over again. Cause you know, in 20 years, the kids picking ramps because there's only a few left because, then, you know, they're going to get made fun of again
1: for a stinky breath. <laughs> so I mean, not. the cycle will be broken. The cycle Sorry. will be broken. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm the other part of Appalachian magic. We haven't touched on at all. And I know we've talked for a long time, so I don't know how deep we're going to go into is the magic of words and stories mm-hmm. and songs, you know, so many bar American bards are from Appalachia. I mean, you know, the, of course the one everyone will point to is Dolly Parton as you should. I mean, you know, she is, uh, she is in a class all by herself, but you know, the music and storytelling and traditions out of Appalachia are a huge part of the magic as well. Um, You know, people listening to the podcast will be able to hear that I do not have an accent, And that's because, again, you know, Appalachia was super denigrated when I was a kid. And I was told by well-meaning teachers that if I was going to be taken seriously as an intellectual, as a writer, as an accountant, that I needed to talk like I was from the Midwest. And, you know, if I have a couple beers in me, it comes out and there mm-hmm. certainly have turns of phrase that mm-hmm. are there, but it's mostly gone. And I'm really sad about that. But um, one of the things that I've been working on um, for my family is I've been writing our liturg- liturgy for our holidays, and that's been really special. Um, and I I really intentionally reach back to, you know, the old, the old songs from Appalachia and the folk music and the folk stories, which I also tell to my daughter. and. You know, they there is some magic there. the The warnings about fairies are there. Mm-hmm. The, um, you know, the the stories about the classic, really important to magic hospitality rules are there. You know, you all you always give the old lady food. Like yeah. you always give the old lady food. <laughs> you just do it. It doesn't matter salt. if it's your last piece of bread. Give it to the yeah. old lady. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, and also warnings about men. And the ways that the you know the murder ballad is a, a real part of you know the, the bluebeard fairy tale tradition is very much alive and, and well in Appalachia. But in addition to that, there are songs that we use for healing and there are songs that we use for grief and they're the same songs my grandparents sang and my great grandparents sang, and they are a ritual and a really powerful one. You know, occasionally one of those songs will come on the radio, and you know, if it if it happens when I'm driving, like I'm just gonna have. If it's a grief song, I'm just gonna have to pull over and have a good cry. Like it's it's just gonna happen. And I I lost my uncle last year and I um, went to his funeral and. Um, you know, on the way home, I, uh, you know, my hotel room, I downloaded a bunch of those songs so that I could listen to them because technology is, is wonderful. So all the way home, I listened to, you know, may the circle be unbroken and the circle will be unbroken. And the songs that are part of our collective grieving and healing and connection and, um, but we use them. We also use them in ritual, and it's an important part of that. So I'm excited to be able to connect my family to those rituals, but in a way that's really personal for us. So the the writing of our own has been really good, Um, and it inhabits the middle space that I inhabit now, right, where I don't live there anymore, and my claim to it is strong, but also, you know, not as, as absolute as someone who never left. Mm-hmm. And so I try to to treat that with gentleness and with respect.
0: Oh, I love, I'm just like <laughs> getting all misty-eyed. This is just so, <laughs> oh, oh, so good. No, it's, I feel like we could probably talk about um, words and intentions and songs and ballads and bards and just like the... <sighs> The energy that was brought from the people of Scotland and Ireland in Germany with that tradition and then how it um, expanded and changed and became so much more in Appalachia is just, uh, it is America. And that's something that like, I hope anyone who's listening to this who doesn't know much about Appalachia needs to realize is that Appalachia is America, and it's, um, it has never been allowed to feel like America, but it's where all of our traditions and rituals truly come from, Um, and yeah, that is, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, excited to see how your practice expands and how it moves through your daughter and your family and your community, um, especially with you writing and really getting it down on paper um, is, or on computer.
1: yeah yeah. and that's that's kind of a violation of of at least my family's Appalachian tradition too like we do not write things down the oral tradition the oral tradition is really important and there's a reluctance to commit things to paper yeah um so you know I am I am writing them down in a notebook like with a pen um I, I I do feel like maybe putting them on a computer or that sort of thing would be even like another step farther. Yeah. Than, well, like, I mean, I'm already yeah. like breaking a taboo here, like <laughs> how far I'm willing to take it as a question. But, um, but yeah, no, I'm excited about it too. And I, you know, I, I my practice has always been something that's I've been very private about. You know, we talked about the fact that you and I were friends and did play Mm -hmm. dates and we're in each other's houses for years, Mm -hmm. and neither of us knew the other one was a witch until we got on Instagram after we'd both moved out of the city. So um, you know, it's it's not something I'm ashamed of, but it's something that has been very private for me. So this moving to, to like sharing my tea recipes on Instagram or Um, my full moon rituals, like renewal and and resetting rituals are all like, it's very new for me. So,
0: well, I am very honored that you, um, you wanted to share with me and share with the listeners just because I do think it's part, I mean, like it feels very healing Overall, for you personally, but for also sharing it with me personally, like it feels healing that I'm going to integrate your story and your practice into me. Um, And hopefully that, you know, the listeners can um, can feel the energy that you're putting out to to do some research about Appalachia, like truly, like just just Google it go down the rabbit hole it's um it's an interesting story and it's a sad story but there's so much hope and joy in in the region that needs to be um honored and discussed and talked about like it's not woe is me it is joy it's beauty it's color it's excitement it's it's it is it's music
1: (laughs) you know it really is it really is I um if people are interested in some of the history around the labor part, I wrote a blog piece about that and how um, we're seeing a return to some of the worst of those practices in in current modern culture and and some action steps for what we can do about it. I know you're going to share my, my blog. Yeah, link, I'll, so. I'll
0: put that specific blog link in the show notes too, because I'll have, I have all of um, Terry's, you know, social media and all of her blog stuff in the show notes, but I'll put the specific link for that one um, in there. And then uh, what we'll do is Terry and I will talk maybe a little afterwards or get some uh, more, more references for Appalachia because it is, you know, if, if I'm assuming, I'm assuming, but I also have some references, but maybe Terry has some references too that I'll throw up there because I do think it is a, um, it's an unknown for so many people. And I think it's it's a very healing thing for us as a people, of, of us, you know, as Americans who are listening, um, the first places we need to heal are the places that have been exploited and hurt the most, you know, working with our healing of, of Black people in America, of the Indigenous, of the Native Americans, and then of the, the exploited white colonizers who came in as the workforce, as the work laborers of, um, yeah, of this country. So, yeah, I think I think that's kind of where I, I think we should wrap it up. Um, but I do want to do my rapid fire because I do this at the end of every episode. And I hope okay. you want to play this little game with
1: me. I do, but I do want to do one coda yes. to the ballads because I feel of bad course. that I didn't acknowledge this. And that's that one of the reasons that the music and storytelling of Appalachia is so rich is because, well, it did come from Ireland and in scotland and germany it also really pulled in the really strong cherokee and enslaved black traditions yeah. and that that the you know there is no bluegrass music without the african the the african spiritual and there and without the Cherokee chants those are both really deeply embedded in the music and it doesn't exist without those so I feel like I would be really remiss if I didn't acknowledge that so all right hit me with your rapid fire (laughs) yes rapid fire so this is patio edition because it's magic
0: on the patio even though I'm inside because you know hurricane today (laughs) same (laughs) all right so it's five questions. I want you to answer as quickly as possible. But you know, if you have a little bit of extra, feel free to add. So,
1: one: Where is your favorite patio? Ooh, my favorite patio is in Lexington, Kentucky, at a German bar that has over five hundred beers, a sand volleyball court, and the best jukebox in America.
0: Ooh, I want to go. All right. (laughs) Number two, are you more of a dining table or couch vibe patio person? Couch. Couch. All right. So lounge in. I like it. Okay. Number three, if you could chill, hang out with anyone dead or alive on your favorite patio,
1: who would it be and why? Eleanor of Aquitaine, the most badass woman in history. She married kings of two different countries, traveled to the Crusades bare-breasted, scandalizing her prudish French king husband, who then uh, had their marriage annulled, even though the Pope witnessed their uh, consummation of their marriage because he didn't believe it was going to happen. And, you know pretty much ruled the the country during huge parts of Richard the Lionheart's crusades. Oh
0: gosh, that's a good one, Terry. Love okay. her.
1: Love her. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Number four. Okay. What's your favorite plant to have on your
1: patio? Ooh, I i am really loving my fuchsias this year Mm. I've got two hummingbird fuchsias one of them is hot pink and purple and the other one is white and red and they just they're just well they're just magical they light up my my life and every time I think that they're done for the season they surprise me with more blossoms so they bring that sense of wonder too
0: I love that
1: All right, so this is our last one. This is
0: a take on um, the game Marry, Shag, or Kill. So it's dinner, drink, or uninvite. And these three people are actually, they're all um, Appalachian uh, songstress.
1: So we have
0: Dolly Parton, we have Loretta Lynn, and Naomi Judd.
1: So, who would you have for dinner? Great invites. I know it's a hard one. Oh, that's hard because I, I would hate to uninvite any of them. I, I guess know. I know. I'm going to have to uninvite Naomi Judd because yeah. just because the other two are so great. So I would probably go drinking with Dolly Parton because I know she used to hang out at Studio 54. So I bet she is a real fun bar hopper and honky tonker. Um, But so is Loretta Lynn. But Loretta Lynn and I are from really close to the same place. So the idea of sitting down with her for dinner and talking about our family sounds really nice because her home place, as we call our where we're from in Appalachia. It's the home place. Her home place is I used to drive past it, like going back and forth to my mom's when I lived in Lexington. So oh I
0: love that. That was so good. Oh you're so good at the rapid <laughs> fire. Yeah. Well Terry, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Like this was a wonderful podcast. I hope you had a good time. I think I think everyone's gonna really enjoy listening to your story and um yeah your practice. So thank you thank so much. You.
1: I had a blast. This was fun. I uh, like I said, I hadn't put a lot of this into words or shared it with anyone before. So it was fun to get to think about and articulate. Awesome. Well, thank you, Terry. And all of Terry's information will be linked in the show
0: notes below. And thanks for enjoying this. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Magic on the Patio. For more information on this episode's guest, check out the podcast show notes or our Instagram at Magic on the Patio. Stay grounded.